down in May But I know I'm gonna change that tune When I'm back on top, back on top in June Good morning, Journey family. Today, we continue our sermon series called That's Life. We'll be in Colossians 1, 24 through chapter 2, verse 5. I'm going to read that, so go ahead and pull that out, and let's read that together. Colossians 1, 24, and I'll stop in chapter 2 at verse 5. Paul says this, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of the body, which is the church, I have become its servant. He repeats that uh, from a previous passage. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, and this we're going to focus, to this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, so that no one may, be deceive, may, may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. That's what I hope for this morning. No matter where you are, right? Um, I know that we are united in spirit, even though we not, might not be united in person. And I want God to shape us, mold us, discipline us, and stand us firm in the faith of Christ. I want to begin by asking you an interactive 
question, an interactive question. So if you're sitting at a campground right now, you got some Wi-Fi, you're watching this, right? Or you're at home, you're watching this, or you're with a group, whatever you are doing, I want to ask this interactive question. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to respond. Respond on whatever platform you're on. If you're on Facebook, put it in the comments. YouTube, put it in the comments. If you're on church online platform, uh, put it in there in the chat. And if you're in a room full of people, you just tell other people what we're doing. Here's the interactive question. What was your first job? What was your first job? It's kind of a funny thing to think about. What might have been your first job? I asked the band and the team this morning, hey, what was your first job? Uh, a few were like, oh, babysitting, that was my first job. There was somebody that said, I was a lifeguard, a little David Hasselhoff going on in our worship band. I'll let you guess who it was, I'm not gonna tell you. Uh, and then uh, here's the best one I heard so far this morning. So John Oakland, he's our executive pastor, he said, my first job was being the assistant greenskeeper at a miniature golf course. <laughs> the assistant greenskeeper at a miniature golf course. I don't even think that's a real job, but John did that now. He's our executive pastor. So if you've got any assistant uh, managers uh, of golf course, mini golf courses, you might be an executive pastor someday. That's the point of the story. All right. I bet it brings up vivid memories for many of us. What was your first job for me? My first job was I worked at a place called Palomino Park. It was in South Denver, and they were building these uh, massive townhomes. And we got employed by a friend of ours. Their, their dad employed us, and all we did all day long was we nailed headers together. Like it was, it was the least glamorous job of all time. So we stood out in the sun, we listened to the radio. This was before Spotify and before Pandora. I know I just blew some minds. You didn't even know that day happened. Yep, there was a thing called a radio. It was awesome. Okay, so there was a radio and sunshine, and we had these big long boards, and all we do is nail these boards together all day long. And then we'd get them off, put them on the cut list, and then we'd get some new ones out, and we'd nail them together all day long. That was my first job. It was hard work. Hard work is in my blood. I, I love working hard. My grandfather, his name's Art, Art Van Epps, okay? He, he's, he's everything you would imagine that name to be, okay? Art Van Epps owned his own trash business. Arvada Rubbish Removal, the tagline was the sweet smell of success, okay? Everybody thought, oh, you work in garbage, that stinks. And, and my grandpa always said, hey, listen, what stinks to some people is cash to others, okay? And so he worked in Arvada Rubbish Removal. My dad, uh, he's been in ministry and nonprofit work his entire Life. He just had surgery, and I talked to him the other day, and I said, Dad, how you doing? He said, I'm doing good, uh, but I'm probably working too much. I'm like, dude, you still got tubes coming out of you, and you're working too much? Yeah, I, I like working. And, and, and so this is something that's been passed along from generation to generation. And so I've got this really proud moment I want to share with you this morning. A couple weeks ago, kicking into summer, getting ready for summer, Eli and our neighbor, neighbor boy, Brady, they had this idea, hey, we want to start a business. I want you to see this picture. They started a lemonade stand, right? Two lemonades for a dollar, which I think is a little steep. I'm going to be honest with you, considering things, but I guess you could, you could spend your... Um, your check from the government on that. I don't know. Anyway, so, um, but he set up this lemonade stand and he sat there and he worked at it with his buddy all day long. He got home and I said, dude, you made some money. That's awesome. What are you going to do with it? And no joke, this is what he says to me. 
hey, dad, what's going on with that uh, everyone initiative thing at church? And, and I'm like, uh, but, buddy, that's kind of on pause. And he's like, I'm gonna have to talk to Bob about that. So Bob, he's coming for you. I'm just warning you, fair warning you, that's coming for you. Because um, he wants to talk about how he can give out of this lemonade stand. How do you feel about work? How do you feel about work? That's what I want to engage around this morning. I want to engage around the idea of, of work and how does God want us to view work. But before we get into how God wants us to engage work, what I want to engage with us is this, this thought of uh, what are our incorrect views of work? See, I think we have a problem. And our problem is our incorrect views about Work. I think there's some incorrect views about work that are circulating, and I think we need to tackle those before we head into what God would say about work. So here's one of the problems, I think, in our views on work. One of the things we think is that work is bad, or that work is a necessary evil. We, we had a song before the gathering started called, Everybody's Working for the weekend. That, that buys into this idea that work is just a necessary evil. I'm just working so that I can get to the weekend. I'm just working so that I can pay for my boat and I can pay for my camper and I can pay for my fun because I'm just working. It's just my job. I'm just working so that I can get to the weekend. And in the midst of that kind of thinking is some bad thoughts about what work actually is. It's this thought of like work is just bad. And if I could do something to uh, avoid it, that would be really helpful. And if I didn't have to work anymore, that would be awesome. I hear this in people who say, man, I want to retire by the time I'm 45 or 50. Their view on there is that uh, oftentimes is their view is work is just bad. And they want to work really hard, make a whole bunch of money, and then not work anymore. I don't think that's a biblical view of work. One of the other problems, I would say, the other side of that coin is this. Uh, some people see work uh, not as bad. Some people see work as God. Not as something that's good, but they see it as God. And here's how that works itself out. I don't think somebody would come up and say, yeah, I believe work is God. But if you're sitting there going, man, I, I have realized in this season that I work too much. Like this whole stay-at-home order, my kids said to me, man, dad, we've never seen you home as much as we've seen you now. If you felt a deep sense of loss of identity and you don't know who you are because you've lost a job, you, you may be leaning into this idea that work is actually more than it, it actually is. You, you think work, work is God. And so, and so if you have a good work day, then everything around you is good. But if you have a bad work day, then everything around you is bad. And you put this heavy, heavy weight on your work and what you can accomplish. And if you don't do that, you don't feel great about life because you put work on a too high of a pedestal. You've made it a God. And so we can see these two things in two different ways. We can see work as bad. We can see work as God, we struggle with workaholism, right? Um, what I think we need, though, is a better view. We need a better narrative for work. We don't need to see it as bad, and we don't need to see it as God. What I think we need to see it as, we need to see a better narrative 
for it. And so here's the trajectory of the narrative. I just wanna gloss through uh, what the biblical narrative says about work. So very early in the Bible, Genesis 1, God works really hard for six days. He works and works and creates everything around him. And, And after every day of work, do you know what God says? That was good. That was really good. And then he creates a a man, Adam, and he puts him in the garden. And one of the first things that he says to Adam is, hey, Adam, I want you to work in the garden. It's one of the very first things that God says to the very first person created. I want you to work in the garden. The garden. So work obviously can't be bad. Work obviously has to be good according to this narrative. But then something happened. Just a few pages later, Adam and Eve, they they gave up their work, and what they decided to do instead was to try to see life from their own perspective and not from God's perspective. They listened to the lies of the deceiver. And the consequences of their eyes being opened was hard labor, okay? You can go and check this out later, but if you wanna look in Genesis 3, you can find this story. But what happens as a consequence of Adam and Eve going their own way is that God says, okay, there's gonna be a couple things that happen. One, the woman is going to have hard labor in childbirth. That it's going to be hard work in childbirth. We think, boy, that's crummy. Well, guess what? God gives the same thing to Adam. He says, Adam, you don't get off so easy. Here's the deal for you. That work that you're going to do on the ground is going to produce thistles and thorns. And guess what? It's going to be hard labor too. And you're going to work and you're going to strive and work got bad. It got bad. So work went from good to bad. And then if you fast forward a little bit, To Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's this baby that's born in a manger. You may have heard of him. His name is Jesus, okay? Pretty important character in the narrative. And Jesus shows up and he dies on the cross to pay for the penalty of that separation. And he brings us back to being in right relationship with God and he redeems all that is broken. One of those things that was broken is work and he redeems work. And, and, and so fa- coming forth out of Jesus and coming forth out of the story of Jesus and the narrative of this from good to bad to redeemed, God puts the work back into the hands of his disciples and back into the hands of Paul and back into the hands of Timothy and back into your hands. He wants you to redeem work. See, I think we need a better narrative. I think we need to see work as worship. Work as worship. It is not God. It is not bad. It is good and it is God-given. It is good and it is God-given. Here's how Paul says it to the Colossians. He says this, To this end, so he's talking about spreading the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus. By the way, that's not his job, but that's his work. 
Sometimes we relegate our work to our job. Guess what? The Bible, it paints a different picture of that. It says our life is our work. What we do is our work, that we work for God as worship, right? So Paul says, to this end, getting out the good news of Jesus, I strenuously contend. I work hard with, check this out, all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. So he's saying to the Colossians, I'm working hard for you. I'm working hard for the Laodiceans. And I'm even working for people that I haven't even met yet. I'm working with all the energy that Christ has put within me and works within me. Paul's saying he wants them to have a deep sense of satisfaction in a hard day's work. You ever laid sod? Oh man, I love laying sod. I'm gonna be honest with you. I saw somebody laying sod just this past weekend. And I thought, man, I, I literally said to Lori, oh, they're laying sod. I like wanna go help them, okay? Because sod is just awesome. You can go from just dirt, right? to green grass in like 12 hours and you're sweaty and you're hot, but you have accomplished something. You could look at it and you go, look what we did. We planted a yard. That's what Paul wants for us. He wants us to work hard, to strenuously contend, to give everything that we have, the energy of Christ himself that's at work within us for others, for others. And he wants us to see it as more than a job. He wants us to see it as worship. So I wanna, with the, with the rest of our time together, I wanna unpack just two aspects of this hard work that Paul is encouraging us toward. Two aspects of hard work that Paul is encouraging us to. Number one, it is empowered by Jesus. Our hard work is empowered by Jesus. Jesus. Sometimes we can get this wrong and we can go, okay, this is a good hard work sermon. And, and some of us, especially us who actually are like, oh, I think work is God, but we won't say that out loud. Some of us are like, oh, I like this sermon. This is a good one. I like work, right? So one of the things we struggle then with is saying, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to earn the favor of Jesus. And I'm just going to be Jesus's favorite boy or girl. And I'm going to figure it out. And I'm going to work, 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 work with all, with all my energy until I can't work any more and Jesus says, Paul says it's it's more mysterious than that. It's more complicated than that. See, because it's empowered by Jesus. What Paul is explaining in this passage is that it's Christ's powerful work within him that allows him to strenuously contend. It's not that. Paul just makes it happen himself. He doesn't manufacture it himself. What he says is he knows the source of all energy. He knows who empowers him, who never runs out of energy, and he is connected to the one who is working within him, and because of that, he can strenuously contend. It's first that Christ is working with in me, and then it's that I am responding with strenuous work. That because of what God has done within me, that I can then share that with those around me. Um, in this season, uh, there, there's some of us who um, haven't worked as much, and it's changed, and a lot of the country has lost jobs 
but you haven't lost work, right? We'll get to that by the end of the sermon. You haven't lost your work, you just lost your job. So um, some have not worked at their job as much. I, I am not in that category. Um, if you talk to Lori, she would say, you are working pretty hard right now and some days I'm a little worried about you and, um, and you're just, you're working really, really hard. And, and I am. And, and, and so is Bob and John and the rest of the staff. They are, uh, Brandon and every, everybody's working really hard. And, and, and it's really hard not to be in person with you. And, and so this is just a really hard season. And I don't think we're the only ones feeling like this. And I've had these moments where I'm like, I, I, can't, I can't do it anymore. I, just I don't have it in me. I just can't, I can't do it anymore. And it's at that moment when I have to step back and recognize it's not about me manufacturing the energy. It's about Jesus working within me and that he doesn't have a lack of energy. Yeah, I, I need to take breaks. And, and just, like, just like God did on the seventh day when he rested, I need moments of rest. But when I'm called to work, I'm not called to work empowered by myself. I'm called to work empowered by God himself. So if you're tired right now, I want you to know that God is working within you to produce good fruit within you, good work within you to the world around you. I had an elder in Big Sky, and every once in a while he'd, be, he'd ask me on a Sunday morning, hey, how you feeling? And I would say, Don, I'm, I'm tired today. It was a, a long week of work, had a lot going on. He said, he'd always say, good, you preach better when you're tired because Jesus works through you more. <laughs> and, and he just had this deep sense of like, God's energy within me was more important than my own energy, that when I was reliant upon God to lift me up and empower me, then I was in the right space to lead and to love. It also leads us to not being able to take credit. God gets all the credit when we're empowered by him. Number two. So it's empowered by Jesus, number one. Number two, it is for the sake of others. So Paul says this, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and all I haven't even met yet personally. It's always for the sake of the other. Jesus was obsessed with the other. He was obsessed with the other. He wanted his disciples to love one another, right? He told stories about a man who's, who's walking on a road and he gets beat up on the road and, and left for dead on the road and the pastor walks by him, the religious guy walks by him and then the Samaritan, the guy who's not supposed to love him, who's not supposed to care about him, he loves the other. Jesus is always telling stories about how we love the other. If you pay attention to Jesus at all, you know he's always loving people that people are like, why are you loving those people? Like, Tax collectors, what are you doing partying with tax collectors? Oh, you let a tax collector onto your discipleship team? Awesome, way to go, that's a smart move. That's what they were all thinking. But Jesus was obsessed with the other and so Paul was obsessed with the other and we should do our work for the other. Patrick Lencioni, who I've been reading a, a lot of, uh, says there's two types of leaders. There are reward-centered leaders and there are responsibility-centered leaders. And what he would advocate for are responsibility-centered leaders, not reward-centered 
leaders. That reward-centered leaders are people who are thinking, what's in it for me? And responsibility-centered leaders are thinking, what's in it for everyone else? Paul uses the verbiage of being a servant over and over and over throughout his letters. He is not there to be served, but he is there to serve, echoing the words of Jesus. Our work is for the sake of others. Our hard work of reconciliation is for others. A couple years back, I got to spend some time in Jackson, Mississippi with Dr. John Perkins. Dr. John Perkins marched with Martin Luther King Jr. And I got to spend about a week with him in a community there in Jackson, Mississippi. And at that time, and there, there was a white side of town and there was a black side of town. And, and Dr. James Perk, John Perkins said, I am not okay with this. He said, I'm going to reconcile this town. And so he went to work, right? He marched with Martin Luther King Jr., but he went to work as well. He started uh, this church and then they started buying houses on the black side of town and inviting white people from the other side of town to come live on the black side of town so that they could create a diverse community, a diverse neighborhood. And I got to see this live in living color. But can I tell you right now, everything John Perkins is doing, it's hard work for the sake of the other. We have hard work to do with reconciliation. We have hard work to do with rebuilding, with rebuilding. Uh, in particular, uh, you know, I think we're all going, what's gonna happen with the economy? And, and, and what we're seeing is like, some people feel like we're doing really well, some people are not, some people are shutting down businesses, some people are out buying campers, right? So, um, but, but here's what I know, we're gonna have to rebuild. We're gonna have to rebuild. And so one of the great stories from Global Leadership Summit a couple years ago was a man by the name of Alan Mulally who was um, brought on from Boeing to the Ford Company in 2006. And right in the midst of uh, the Great Recession, Alan Mulally, he changed the whole culture of Ford. He didn't take any of the government, government um, um, uh, 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 what are they called? Somebody help me. Bailout, thank you. Bailout. See, I need you all here. I can't, like, you can't talk through the camera to me. Okay. He didn't take any bailout money and he restructured Ford and brought it back to being profitable. And you would think, man, he must have had an awesome marketing strategy. He must have made some really hard cuts. I'm sure he did all those kinds of things. But do you know what his number one value was? He came to this company at 10 values. The number one value was this people first. Wait a minute. Ford, cars first. No. Alan Mulally says, people first. The hard work of regathering churches. Uh, this is something that's right in front of us and we're trying to figure this out. And I just wanna ask for your grace in this. Like we are trying to figure out how to regather as a church. There are churches that are uh, regathering right now and, and trying to figure it out with social distancing. And I can just tell you, this is so hard in terms of leadership right now. I want you to be praying for us, praying for wisdom, praying that we would see exactly how God wants us to regather. And I want you to keep leaning in. Like, I don't, I don't want you to go on summer vacation. 
I don't want you to get to the fall and go, yeah, church, that's not that important anymore. We didn't do it all summer. We don't need to do it this fall. Like, we need you and you need us. We are made for each other. So I want you to be prayerfully thinking how God wants you to gather as the church each and every week, maybe now with your journey community, uh, maybe with some neighbors, maybe you go camping, you do it in some unique way. I want you to be engaged as we re-gather at the church. We've been invited into the hard work of restoration. And, and so um, I want to, I want to end where it begins. I want to begin where it ends. Where it begins and where it ends is in the garden. Bring out the shrubbery! I I just wanted to say that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Some of you get that as a Monty Python joke. You don't get it. I apologize. Uh, Not really. That's your fault. Okay. (laughs) Shrubbery. Shrubbery. Okay. God invites us into the garden. This is where it begins and this is where it ends. See, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the middle of that creation, was a garden, a garden filled with life and filled with trees. And it it was this beautiful garden. And God said to Adam, like I said, he said, go work in the garden. Go plant the trees, tend to the trees, tend to the soil, water the garden. Make sure that it grows. Make sure that it's healthy and strong. And make sure that it produces life. And then, as we talked about, there's this tension as Adam and Eve, they they chose to go their own way. But the picture that Bob talked about already was this. He he said, he said, there's another picture in, in Revelation. Revelation 22 of Eden being restored. That there is every tribe and tongue and nation. And guess where they're gathered? Around the throne and around the throne is a river and around the river is a garden. See, see, I don't even think it's a mistake that when Mary got to the tomb and it was empty and she turned around and she saw Jesus and she thought he was the gardener, I don't think that was a mistake. I think that was just John being poetic about what's going on here, that God has called us to live in between the gardens, that he has called us to redemption, that he has called us to reconciliation, that he has called us to rebuilding. And he says, I want you to tend to this. I want to get your hands dirty, right? Don't stand on the sideline. We don't need another meme. We don't. We don't need another phrase. We need hard work, redemption work. There is a world out there that is dying to hear about Jesus. What we really need right now is Jesus. We need Jesus more than ever. And there are people who need us to cultivate the soil, to plant the trees, to water the trees, to care about each other 
enough. Jesus has called us to work and walk in the garden to get your hands dirty. So what is your next step? I want you to do this. Consider how you will live out work as worship this week. How will you get your hands dirty in the garden? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us clear vision for the work you have for us. I pray that this wouldn't just be another sermon that we walk away from and then we do nothing with, but God, I pray for action. I pray that we'd find ways to love our neighbors. I pray that we would find ways to talk about the good news of Jesus with those you've put in our path this week. I pray that you'd give us wisdom to listen. And I pray, God, that we would be those who would tend to your garden. Your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.